Late Night Conversations with Patricia Anduli, Monday to Thursday, 10 p.m. till midnight. Let's welcome our first A-team guest, Professor Mutlalipole Matsabisa, who is a chairperson of the World Health Organization's Regional Expert Advisory Committee on Traditional Medicines for COVID-19 and Director of Pharmacology at the University of the Free State. Thank you very much for joining us, Professor Matsabisa. Uh, thank you, Patricia, for having me on your show. I'm so glad that uh, you have joined us to shed some light as to what sort of role the traditional medicines and indigenous knowledge systems should be playing when it comes to fighting COVID-19. Yeah, tra- traditional medicines, you know, in terms of COVID could play a, a number of significant roles. Uh, if we recall that traditional medicines are composed of a myriad of chemicals or compounds uh, that could be antioxidants, and that's why, for instance, in COVID, uh, we use vitamin C uh, because it's an antioxidant. Uh, COVID patients have diarrhea. Traditional medicines can be used in terms of stopping the diarrhea. So they could be used also in terms of, I think, your heart problems, which affect, you know, you know your COVID patients, your breathing. So we're saying uh, there is, in fact, a, a, a wide spectrum, you know, of roles that traditional medicines could, you know, play, including fighting the virus itself. So, yes, we agree that there could be vaccines, but vaccines are at the beginning, you know, they are more preventative. But once a person has COVID, then you need something to treat it. Uh, and you treat those symptoms, you know, using, you know, um, uh, antiviral drugs. But antiviral drugs only work at the beginning, you know, of the disease. When you have mild COVID, antivirals are very effective. They work. But once the disease becomes severe, uh, where you have now a stage two, you know, condition where people start having difficulty in breathing, they've got diarrhea, uh, they, you know, um, have blood problems. Those antivirals do not work. Hence why you'd find a lot of patients die unnecessarily because there is no optimum treatment for that and we would be using vitamin C's and things like that as, you know, aspects of antioxidants. But vitamin C's, you get them from oranges, you get them from any other fruit or any other herb that can be used, you know, as a medicinal plant. Post-COVID, what we people call long COVID, where the symptoms persist beyond COVID, there's no treatment for that. And traditional medicines could, in fact, alleviate those symptoms. So traditional medicines have this wide spectrum that could actually alleviate and help people that have COVID. Hence, people start using things like your gingers, people start using things like your lemons. It's because we know how they work and we know the benefits that they would have in terms of COVID. Now, uh, Professor, in terms of um, acknowledging all the information that we have around uh, um, traditional medicines and traditional remedies, what is the World Health Organization's stance on this? Because, you know, we don't hear much of, uh, of, of, of them speaking about indigenous knowledge systems and how they can aid in uh, COVID-19 treatment or even uh, just boosting up the immune system. It's always the scientifically proven, and I'm using inverted commas, and uh, medically tested medicines that are being advocated for by the World Health Organization. 
Yeah, it 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 it's it really a pity. That means we have to do more to 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 publicise. I think you know the work that WHO is doing, especially in Africa. Uh, since I think the establishment of the committee, a, a number of meetings took place and uh, decisions were taken uh, to actually acknowledge that traditional medicines could play a role. But also we were very careful that we should not blanketly just say traditional medicines could play a role, but we needed to have to verify, you know, those traditional medicines. So through the committee that I chair, we have been working with all the member countries, you know, to see if they could conduct some clinical trials. I know, for instance, you know, Nigeria, I think Guinea in West Africa, um, I think Senegal also, they have already started working with traditional healers and also getting into, you know, clinical trials. We, here at home in South Africa, we have, as the University of the Free State, are in the process of doing a phase two clinical trial on COVID, you know, patients using traditional medicines. But I think you are right, we need to, to do more uh, so that we could publish what we what we are doing but also so that we could talk to traditional healers and say, if you have some of these treatments that could be beneficial, you know, to, you know, COVID patients, please come forward. We want to work with you. So there is, in fact, another thing that we have done. We have developed a protocols, you know, to test traditional medicines for COVID. And those protocols have been adopted and adapted. And member countries can now use those protocols, you know, to test traditional medicines for COVID. A-teamers, uh, please do join in on this conversation. We, we are talking about um, giving traditional medicines a fair chance in fighting COVID-19 and um, making sure that our indigenous knowledge systems are given prevalence. We are talking to Professor Matsapisa and uh, Professor is a part of, uh, or even not just part, chairperson of the World Health Organization's Regional Expert Advisory Committee on Traditional Medicines for COVID-19 and also Director of Pharmacology at the University of the Free State. So well knowledgeable around the topic. Um, call in on 011-714-2006. WhatsApps go to 614 104107. Professor, in, in terms of um, funding, I mean, it's all good and well for for you to have this great call for traditional healers to come and 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 um, open up their knowledge and for it to be tested and so it can be put to market. But sure. is there enough funding? And also coupled with the funding, is there enough protection for the, 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 the traditional healers and the knowledge that they bring in terms of when it goes out to market? Will they get their dues? Will they get their recognition? Will this not then be just swooped up by a bigger pharmaceutical companies and they find themselves left out? Yeah, Patricia, to add to what you are saying, it, it's not just about those things, but it's also to say what incentives do we put forward so that traditional healers could come, you know, willingly yeah, and voluntarily without any coercion, you know, with what we call free prior informed consent, you know, to, 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 to share their knowledge with us. Um, I, I did a, I did a presentation, you know, I think at uh, the Minister of Science and Innovation, they had a, a webinar on dispelling myths about the vaccines. In fact, what I said in that, you know, meeting was we need to redress, you know, the disparities and the inequalities 
in, in terms of the funding for, 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 for traditional medicines. And my argument is very simple that we need to learn from the past. Um, a lot of money was put onto vaccines like it has been done now. But in terms of all the pandemics, whether you look at the bubonic plague, whether you look at the Spanish flu, uh, whether you look at the H1N1, the vaccines never worked. And uh, whether you also look at the aspects of HIV, the vaccines never worked. So we do not have vaccines, as I speak to you now, on HIV and AIDS. But the drugs that, in fact, stopped all those pandemics, whether it is the H1N1, it, they all came from plants. They all came from medicinal plants. And I was saying, you know, by us learning from the past that we need then to have equity in terms of how we fund research. We should not put all our eggs in one basket. Uh, right now, we have issues about the variants coming up. You know, the vaccines that have been developed are no longer working for the new variants. You know, we are scared that at the end, there might actually not be any effective vaccine. And therefore, I pleaded with the ministers to say, let there be enough funding for us, I think, you know, as South Africa and for us as the continent to begin to develop our own drugs. You know, we have the knowledge, we have the traditional healing, we have the medicines, but the final proprietary medicines get developed somewhere, most probably with the plants that we have on this continent. And we need to have that change in mindset. Now, what about the aspect of intellectual property? One of the things that we are fighting for is to develop a local industry. I think one of the things that we are also talking about WHO is our strengthening of local manufacturing capabilities. And we have identified countries such as South Africa, you know, Egypt, you know, um, I think one in West Africa, where would say these countries have got a very strong manufacturing capability and therefore if they could be assisted and strengthened so that they could help the region. But that's something then our, our principles needs to take up. Here at home, we are saying the same thing that let us begin to recognize our biodiversity. The government at one stage through the bio, I think, you know, um, it was one of the, the bio prospecting things. They wanted to, to, to be in the top five pharmaceutical, build the top five pharmaceutical industry based on traditional, you know, medicinal plants. And we're saying that needs to happen. But when that happens, we should not just have our knowledge holders, indigenous knowledge holders, as carriers of the knowledge, but we want to see them as owners of those businesses. They need to be involved in all the value chains, you know, of drug discovery and drug development. Intellectual property, I know that, for instance, South Africa, you know, has been working on a sui generis, you know, system, which will then look into how best we should protect the, you know, the indigenous knowledge systems and the holders of that system. It may not be a perfect system, but it is better than the current system of patents, where, you know, patents get monopolized by certain people that have reached the poor cannot even have the funds to defend infringements on their patents. So therefore, this sui generis system will be looking at how then best do we protect the indigenous knowledge system. Let me go to our A-teamers. KGM is on the line. Good evening, KGM. 
good evening, Patricia. Good evening to 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 your guest and and to the listeners. Uh, uh, Prof, <laughs> you you know you know this is a a very painful topic for me. Yes, please. Because uh, in 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 truth, as you as you would know, Prof. Uh, this information is deliberately ignored. Um, this so-called health, uh, WHO, World Health Organization, uh, with the structure or the system that is used to govern us, as it were, uh, is never designed to benefit, let, let alone recognize anything African, whether you're talking uh, socioeconomic or you're talking medicinal or you're talking uh, indigenous knowledge systems, uh, indigenous education, it doesn't really matter what you talk about. Mm. Mm. Now, my view is this, Prof. I'm, I'm going to sound, to borrow from politics or political term, radical, as it were, but sure. it's actually the truth. Yeah. We, why are we begging WHO? Who is WHO? When uh, Prof. Amemosara, a Bushman, pure and proper, very proud. Yeah. I was born in a bush, not in a hospital. If you prick me, the blood that comes is similar that, with the one that, who was born at a mediclinic or a private hospital. Now, you can tell me that the midwives at home are lesser of important than the midwife at a, a private hospital because uh, of the, the medical structure or the, the, the Western medical recognition, as it were. What, if you can just talk to the, the issue of why are we begging to be recognized by WHO and, and, and those around them. And my, my parting shot, we are neglected, we, we are abused. Every time we talk indigenous knowledge systems, comes some, some foreign terminologies that questions our ability. Mm. Are we scientifically proven? Science, as I understand it, Prof, the, the meaning of science is, is basically knowledge. Yep. And if you ask me, we have it in abundance. Something that has been done over and over again, it's proven to be something that is, is, is understood to work in a particular way. That's what science is. Now, we, we are being bombarded and, and bulldozed with this, this terminology of science, which doesn't make sense at all. Why can't we establish our own, for a lack of a better word, WHO, if you like, and ignore this WHO that keeps on forcing us to toe their line when we know very well that this, behind it all, it's commercialization and robbing us of our intellectual property so that the peoples from across the oceans, the, the rich and the wealthy, can benefit from the majority at our expense. I, I wish I could have time, but, but I'm sure you, you follow my, my my train of thought, Prof. Patricia, I, I, I'm, I'm with you. Th- thanks for taking my call. Thank you very much, KGM. Let's allow uh, Prof to uh, respond. Sure. 
Yeah, thanks for that, Patricia and KGM. Um, WHO uh, does not does not enforce to member states. You know, um, it makes recommendations, and therefore member states are at liberty. You know, to take up you know the guidelines from WHO. Uh, and they are also at liberty not to follow. So WHO does not have any um, enforcing power on on countries, but it does just make recommendations. And uh, the other aspect that I just need to you know to clear off is our principles. You know, uh, at uh, the AU, they ratify and they sign up all these agreements. And but when they come back home, you know. They talk a different language. You know, we, we have had a number of, I think, you know, meetings where our heads of states and governments, you know, agree, you know, on the 20th, whatever decade for traditional medicines, but the implementation is, is something different. Now, why is that so? You know, sometimes, you know, we always say um, Africa and uh, the countries in Africa, you know, they are bulldozed into not accepting their own I think, systems of health because they rely too much, I think, on the donations, you know, um, from, I think, you know, uh, you know, in Europe. I'll give you an example, Patricia. I think in one meeting where we're sitting, um, the, the country argued and say, you see, the, the donation that we get from overseas is actually equivalent to the GDP of the country. And therefore, if we were then not to do that, that means we will not be getting those donations. That's one of those political things where Africa as a continent is not able to stand on its feet and make its own decisions. Um, if we were, for instance, uh, in, in Asia, you know, in China, where one day in parliament they made a decision that as of tomorrow, Chinese traditional medicines will be of equivalent stance to Western medicine. They made that decision and the Chinese medicine is growing. We are not seen to be making those decisions. I don't know why, but there are these little things that are holding us. We believe and accept into traditional medicines, but we don't seem to implement onto that. And that's, to me, a political decision. It is not about WHO. WHO makes up guidelines, and it is actually the member states that have to adopt or adopt or take those guidelines. I've got questions here, uh, Professor, on uh, my WhatsApp. It says, Patricia, until this government recognizes our herbs, we will never stop experiencing the abuse from the Western um, medicines. This is uh, coming from Mangi, who's in Bloemfontein. And then uh, this one from uh, MS Tembani in Escot says via SMS, do traditional healers pay tax? Government will never recognize them or even encourage people to do to go to them. No tender. They work alone. So do you think that this is a, is a hurdle that uh, Tembani is, is, is pointing out? About traditional healers paying tax? Paying tax and also working alone. The, the, yes, one, one, hurdle, one hurdle is they don't document. Um, yes, it is true they work alone. But I recall that about two years ago, you know, and I was part of that, 
um, the government, I think through I think the Traditional Health Practitioners Act, established a, a Traditional Health Practitioners Council. That is a, a, a statutory council that is equivalent to the pharmacy council, that is equivalent to the nursing council, that is equivalent to the health professions council that governs medical doctors. But again, because of, I think, the, the infighting of traditional healers, because of them not being coordinated in one way or the other, that council, I think, when the first term of office came out, there were so many issues that it was never resuscitated. And that's one of the things that we say we need to have traditional healers, I think, getting more organized. I know they, are, they have their own associations. They may have their own issues, but I think on the other hand, when there is an opportunity given to them, they need to take it up, I think, in, in both hands. I can also share with you, I'm, I'm, I'm about to chair, you know, a working group, you know, of um, not just traditional healers, there are traditional healers there, there are pharmacists, there are legal people, and there are medical doctors to try and help, I think that now responds to the other question, to try and help South Africa develop a regulatory framework for traditional medicines. And uh, we're talking about proprietary medicines that would go into the hospitals, into the shops, and it is uh, through that where we'll also see that there is enforcement of aspects of intellectual property. So there is a move, you know, that's going on. That committee has been established as of the 1st of March 2021 to help government come up with a regulatory framework for products made of traditional medicines. You know, uh, Professor, thank you very much for joining us. You've, you've shed some light and uh, we do live in hope that our indigenous knowledge systems would be recognized and also given prevalence um, in, in, in fighting COVID-19. Although here some of our A-teamers are saying, you know what, as long as, this is from an anonymous one, who says, as long as Africa is divided, nothing shall come right. I've got evidence on that. And then the other one says, the traditional healing sector, they come up with a cure for covid because all we hear is crying from money, money from government. This is from Buzana. So people are, are on the different sides of the coin on this topic, Professor. Uh, but uh, this one says, Prof must be consistent with information. We had a non-Western COVID treatment from Madagascar. Mainstream media, together with the World Health Organization, uh, demonized it. Last I heard of uh, that remedy was when uh, World Health Organization said that they signed non-disclosure with Madagascar. So, Prof, uh, what's your take on this before we let you go? Yes, I I know the story. I know the story about, I think, you know, the um, COVID organics uh, from Madagascar. And the true story is, remember, we said we actually helped countries, you know, to run studies and run clinical trials. So Madagascar wanted to be assisted. I know they came even to South Africa. The only thing that we asked Madagascar was we needed additional information so that we can then help you run clinical studies. They failed to do that, uh, and that's really what stopped. And then in the end, they wanted WHO to sign up a non-disclosure agreement with them, which I think that was then handled in Geneva. But here at home, we work with experts from Madagascar. You know, they are part of my group, and they are also keen that... 
the studies that get done of COVID-19, I mean, COVID organics, be done properly, and we're open to that. You know, it is up to Madagascar, you know, to come and work with us, and uh, we then can put all these things to rest. Let me go to John quickly, Prof. Uh, John, good evening. Good evening, how are you? Good, thank you. Oh, good. And hi to the prof there. I've got a quick question. Thanks, John. Just an input. Because I work for local government in the Western Cape, and sometime last year we received an email from our city manager to say that we can uh, now make use of uh, sangomas when we are sick, and their certificates are recognized. But then when you check with the medical aid, the medical aid don't pay for that. Yeah. So I just want to check with the prof as to whether uh, does he know of any um, discussion happening somewhere with medical aid so that they can cover this or another um, service provider who can cover our consulting with Sangomas? Thank you very so, much for the question, John. Uh, prof? Yeah, that that was part of I think what the the Council of Traditional Health Practitioners wanted to do, uh, to set up I think you know those uh, medical aid schemes so for, for to fight for the recognition, but because of the fighting you know amongst the traditional healers, the minister could not then sign up the new members to continue that work. So we are pleading again you know with the traditional health practitioners to say, yes, if there are issues come to the table, let this be discussed so that they do not hinder the progress to move forward. So in the past, I think when that council was there, that was one of the issues that was on the table to say how then do we begin to talk to medical aids to recognize the services you know, of traditional health practitioners. I could also understand the stance from where the, the, the medical aid come from. If you have a, a body that's not regulated because the council needed to regulate the practice, you know, of the traditional healers. And now you are sitting there with people who work individually, people who are not registered and not accountable to any it becomes very difficult, I think, for the medical aid to say who's a, tr- a real traditional healer and who's not because they are not registered anyway. So clearly, Prof, uh, there's still a lot of work that needs to be done internally when it comes uh, to traditional healers, but uh, the knowledge is required. We really appreciate your time and um, more strength to your bow with regards to the work that you are doing. Thank you so much, Patricia, and thanks to the listeners at all. Thank you so much.